Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. purchases teas uh coffees nitro you name it it's the healthy stuff it's all the good stuff done by our good friend tate fletcher and they have so much product over there please go check it out please check it out help them out they're good friends of ours and uh we're proud that they're sponsoring the show go to go to my uh dates real quick we got dates coming up dates we've got dates here we go yes so what do we got here? Uh, in two days, we will be in New Jersey. Yes, we will be at Tiff's Bar and Tiff's Comedy Club in Morris Plains, New Jersey. Myself, XG, will be there. Come hang out. First show sold out. Second one, hopefully, will be better. Uh, ho- hopefully, will sell out and we will rock. XG, you ever been on the uh, East Coast? No, I've never been. It's going to be past. fun, dude. Yeah, it is. I'm excited. East Coast is, is is pretty awesome, man. They're real people out there. It's cold. You got to have a personality to entertain yourself. Uh, where else? And then at the end of the month, we are in Arizona. The Waken Arizona Tour. That's right. Myself, Eddie Bravo, XG. We will be Thursday, the 28th. We will be at the House of Comedy. And then Friday, the 29th, we will be at 191 Tool. And you can just go to samtriplet.com and grab all of those links right there. Grab those T-shirts. New T-shirts are coming out. People are loving them, and uh, it's the blessing. Did I miss anything? I mean, go check out the Patreon. Conspiracy Nows is a wonderful show. Check that out. We're doing live shows on there. Go to t- go find the T-shirts real quick. We're about to put a new T-shirt up. We just put up the um, the uh, Clockwork Orange. That's up. We got the Raider jersey, the silver and black Ronin, and we got a new a new one about to drop, hopefully by the end of the week, which will be the um, the uh, Waking Arizona shirt. So we're super excited about. It. Did you find it? Yeah, it's right there. Boom! Can we put? Look at that, dude. We sold out of the Clockwork Orange stuff. So that's the business, guys. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in, joining us. Uh, we were supposed to do the show a little ways down the line, a couple weeks ago. But I, my flight got screwed up, so we didn't. And she was nice enough to come back on. She's part of a very interesting proje- project that I'm excited to hear about. Uh, please welcome from the Venus Project, Roxanne Meadows, everybody. How are you, Roxanne? I'm well. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate being on. You asked me again. Well, well I'm super excited. You're, you're, uh, you, you're very brave, and you have a really, really um, in- crazy idea about how to save the world. And I love it. And I'm excited about it. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the Venus Project? Well, it's, um, it's an alternative socioeconomic system. We feel that we cannot solve our problems within the capitalist system and the system that we are in now, that it's really the cause of our problems. And um, this social direction was arrived at through uh, Jacques Fresco. He is the founder, I am the co-founder of the Venus Project. He died about a couple of years ago at 101, and he worked at this till the very end. So we, you know, I know you're into conspiracies. Yes. I, I don't know what isn't a conspiracy in this culture. We'd have to talk about- Thank the you. Dr- yes, we'd have to talk about 
the drug culture. I, I'm talking about the the drugs that they push through through medicine. The schools are corrupt. They advocate. They you know they um, they turn out people to be cogs in a wheel just to promote the system that we're in. The values that they give you from when you're very young to when you die are to support the culture that you're raised in, which is the free enterprise system. Okay. Um, so everything you get from when you're a child, you're not taught how to think critically. So we think that the environment shapes our behavior and everything that we get in this environment is for wealth, property, and power. That the main aim is profit over the well-being of people and the environment. So we advocate a system that's quite different, where the main aim is the well-being of people and the protection of the environment. It's pretty much contrary to everything that people learn in this culture. How did you get involved with this? Um, I told you Jacques was the founder of this, yep, and yep. I heard some of his lectures, and it was he spoke very truthfully, very honestly about things that I'd never heard about before, and he didn't just complain about the culture, which he broke it apart really well, but he posed an alternative, and we don't get that in this culture, and that's what's missing. You know, people protest in the street, but for what? Now they're protesting to revolt against the, the free enterprise system and overthrow it. But what do you put in? Um, this notion of democracy is a fallacy. You know, we don't go to war to bring democracy all over the world. Right, right. We, go because we have scarce resources, and this system perpetuates scarce resources. And it's shameful. You know, this system might have been good. 75, 100 years ago, but today we have technologies that can take care of people all over the world. We can make schools for everybody to go to freely. We can make hospitals. Why are people homeless? You can make low-cost homes, but there's no profit in it. Yes, Yes, for sure. There's actually more empty houses in the United States than homeless people. Yes. I mean, we could take care of them for sure. And I, I, I like, I like, I think this project's very interesting, dude. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what, um, what is resource-based economy and the monetary system? Well, the monetary system is what we live with today. Right. It's based on money. Money is not, it doesn't represent resources. It, um, it doesn't represent anything but essentially debt for people. And, you know, we don't have enough money in the world to even take care of everybody's medical care, but we have enough resources. And a resource-based economy is based on resources. We take an inventory, we would need that to know exactly what we have. And those, that would be the parameters of how we set up society. Speaking of the survey, you would need to know where the arable land is, where the water is, where um, where the industrial plants are, where the technical personnel are, the health and the needs of the people, and that determines what we do. Not if there's a buck in it. I, I'm with you on that, man. I mean, you look at our healthcare system, you look at our drug laws, it's basically so... Because some people are just making a lot of money on it and they won't let it change. And it just really, really sucks. Yes. Yes. I I don't think there's anything in this system worth saving. I mean, even we have been so polluted. They pollute the water. They pollute the air. They pollute the the food and and our minds to accept this garbage. But a resource-based economy is what the Venus Project advocates in place of a monetary system. You know, we, we have all the technology we need to produce, as I mentioned, a high standard of living for everyone, but only if we use it intelligently, not the way we use technology today. I'm not talking about that at all. 
it scares me the way they use technology today because it's it's abusive. The system's based on exploitation and abuse, the free enterprise system. Um, so we talk about using technology to produce houses, to produce free medical care for people, to produce schools, to produce safe transportation, and actually total city systems, system designs. We kind of back it up with technology as to what the future in a resource-based economy would look like. And you can see that on our website, thevenusproject.com, and our nonprofit website, which is resource-based economy. So, um, excuse me, resource-basedeconomy.org. But a resource-based economy uses money. I mean, excuse me, it does not use money. Right, right, right. It's based on resources. It's It doesn't use Like a money. bartering system almost. It, it, it's, well, even beyond that, because it's not money, it's not based on money, barter, credit, or servitude of any kind. Um, people, <laughs> people erroneously, they go to school, they want a job to make the money to buy the things they want. But if they really thought about it, it's not the job they want. Most people hate their jobs. They're little dictatorships. It's access to goods and services that people need. So we say that if we reorganized our, our technology and our resources and our technical personnel, we can produce abundance for the first time in history. This system that we live under now, the monetary system, is based on keeping things scarce even when we have the means and the technology to produce whatever anybody wants. Yep. And if you do that, it's too cheap to put a price tag on. You know, we don't, we don't put a price tag on the air that we breathe, or we don't have guards on beaches to make sure that people don't go at night and steal a cup of sand because it's abundant. But we keep things scarce in this culture purposely, we make things wear out and break down. Yep, that's we, all of our uh, our base junkyards are just stuff that just. I mean, this phone will break down in two years on its own. On its own. On its own. Doesn't need to fall. Doesn't need to go in water. It'll just stop. Our working. landfills are just full of this stuff. That's it's, right. That's it's, right. It's, so we're plundering the planet because this system, the monetary system, is based on buying and selling things. And in order to keep selling, you make things wear out and break down. So we're plundering the Earth's resources to keep this offensive system going. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's 100% truth. I mean, you just went to Saudi Arabia. I saw a video of you talking in Saudi Arabia. And, you know, we're talking resources here. We're talking oil and how it's had a devastating effect on, you know, just our lives. How we live, how how we treat other people. You know, we yeah. bomb other people to take their oil, and it's Absolutely. ridiculous. It's ridiculous. How did this whole speech go over over there? Well, actually, I went to Dubai. Oh, Dubai. My apologies. Very similar. Um, it, it it I didn't expect much because it's very monetary oriented, and um, but it 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 went all right. You know, that somebody approached me afterwards and asked me to lecture at their university and then to lecture another person to lecture at a at a um, one of their largest construction companies. So uh, it, it was more successful than I and than I anticipated. And they did some articles. You know, once you get an article done, they, they happened to do an article about my lecture alone, which is surprising. And and then it got into many other newspapers. So, so well, I, well I, that's I, great. So, tell us a little bit about uh, this Jacques Fresco. You said he lived to a hundred. Um, where did he come up with this? Why did he? Why was this his passion? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, it started. He grew up in the Great Depression. In um, 1920s and 30s and he saw that there were still items in store windows and that people wanted to work 
and that they still had arable land and they still had factories, but they were shut down. And he knew the people that were, they were thrown out in the streets and they lived in tents. And I can assure you that wouldn't happen again now in the United States um, with the next great crash. But um, so those times generated new ideas being talked about in the streets, like communism, socialism, mankind united, fascism, all different ideas that you don't see today. You know, the word communism and socialism are red flag words. If people hear something new, they say that you're a communist or you're a socialist, and you ask them what it means, and they have no idea. But, you know, in other parts of the world, they have communist parties and socialist parties and different parties, you know. Um, but this country, they, we are the most brutal country in terms of labor and new ideas, the Labor Party. We just shot them in the streets in, after the Depression. But anyhow, getting back to Jacques, so he saw these things and he heard new ideas and he saw his friends being thrown out in the streets, eating through soup kitchens and bread lines, and conditions were really, really bad. Um, so he really, at the time, he, a, a, a saying that had been coined for Jacques is that this shit's gotta go. And he spent the rest of his life looking for another social system that wasn't abusive to people. Um, and he arrived at a resource-based economy. He, he studied many different social systems and found them all lacking because they really didn't have a viable plan to make life better for people. So what is, what is social cyber engineering? <laughs> That's socio-cyberneering. It's yeah. a word that Jack made up. meant um, um, engineering, um, and, and so uh, engineering and cybernation, it's socio-cybernearing, socio engineering and cybernearing, cybernation, that was even before the word cyber was popular, oh. applied to the social system. Um, you know, this, this system I'm talking about, it's not based on somebody's wishes or aspirations or psychology or religion or political systems, it's essentially using the methods of science applied to the way we operate society. That it's not based on people's arbitrary decisions, but it's based on data and statistical findings to how we make decisions. It's not based on somebody making a lot of money, somebody's brother-in-law getting ahead because you know, the family was into politics. Right, right. Or making a lot of money. You know, the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, but you have roads winding in and out. So people in different areas can, can have the population drive through their areas to make more money through their stores or whatever it is. But um, very little things are, are in this system very little decisions. There's lots of opinions in this system. You know, everybody's given the right to their own opinion. And um, I'll put it this way. Jacques used to work with special effects in Hollywood when he was younger in the 1950s. And people would walk up to him because he would have space stations going in, in outer space. He would have rockets going to the moon. And people would say, you'll never see that, not in a thousand years. And he would say, oh, you work with rocketry? No. You work with propulsion? No. He'd say, then where do you come off with all these opinions? You know, everybody, there might be a woman who has many men going into her home. And, you know, people have all sorts of opinions. But she might be a music teacher, an art teacher, a French teacher, she might be a prostitute, but you know, people, it, we say that in the future, people would have access to information and that's quite different than opinions. Okay, all right. Um, so you're talking about like basically this, what sounds like you're talking about is analytics, data, and basically 
you'd be using data to bi- figure out what the resources are and how this applies. And that way everybody gets kind of equal treatment and it's the most efficient way to use it. Why do you think technology, what, what role does technology have in the fall of communism, capitalism, excuse me? Well, today technology is used primarily a lot for surveillance. We have technological unemployment where, um, you know, people are losing their jobs. It's not so much that we're not producing. We are automating more so, and people are beginning to talk about this, write books about it, and they have no clue as to what to do when there's enough people displaced by automation. And industries are forced to do that. They're forced to be son of a bitches in this culture. There's... You know, they, they can't afford to be ethical in this culture. Because, and I can explain that more so but later. But um, so technology does things better, quicker, cheaper, more efficiently. They don't ask for vacations. You don't have to pay them overtime. They don't take cigarette breaks. They don't get sick. And um, you, your industry has to take on automation to compete. So... Um, As I said, people are afraid of what's happening with this, but they don't know what to do, and they're talking about universal basic income. And they think that'll take care of the problem. I think that'll make it worse. Yeah, to me, it's like, um, you know, people don't get wiser or better with Social Security when they get 65. And as long as you keep the social system the same, the social stratifications the same, the education the same, you pacify people with a little bit to keep them satisfied, but it won't solve the problems we have. How, how do you see this system being implicated? Uh, how do we actually put it in, not make it a theory, but actually put it into reality? Do you think it's possible this could happen? Uh, have we tried doing this in real life to see if it could actually work? No, and this is something we're taking on, just like any other social, just like any other scientific experiment, we really not need to show that this works. Although many aspects that we talk about in regards to this are different disciplines in society. So they they are based on scientific study, but um, putting it, we, we advocate, and Jacques did lots of designs for cities, that are efficient, that that are round, that you design one-eighth of the city with many multidisciplinary people working together, and then you duplicate it. And the and you it's it's immersed in beautiful garden thank you. Okay. <laughs> it's immer- they're immersed in beautiful gardens. And the idea of the city is it's not based on somebody's personal aesthetics, but it's efficient the architecture can be made in automated um, factories and assembled on site, meaning it can go up very quickly because the aim of this system is to feed, house, and clothe and provide a very good standard of living and a fulfilling lifestyle for everyone on the planet. So So the way to design architecture and think about it is different. So uh, you're fully embracing... Uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, what roles do computers have with this system? Well, I, I embrace it, not in this system, because who has control of artificial intelligence, it scares me. Okay. And yes, but in the system I'm talking about, where really everything is for the well-being of people, because, you know, the smarter you are, the smarter kids are, the better my, my life. You can kind of think of it as functional selfishness because when anything is developed, when people learn how to produce things that enhance people's lives, not to pollute the soil, not to pollute the air and the water, but clean it up and makes you know, safer housing and more efficient transportation. But when people are taught to do this in a resource-based economy, what happens is it goes right back into society for everyone's use without a price tag. So, 
you know, there's, there's nobody out there saying, have I got just the car for you? They're without money. Money is an interference factor between what you want and what you're able to get. So without money in the scenario, and we have access centers, just like the public library, where people can go in and check out what they want. If they want to use it all the time, they keep it. If they don't, they bring it back. It's kept in key shape for everyone's use. You have to think of how you use resources differently under a diff this type of social system. Ah. So... But so what if computers. but if what if someone checks out the car you want and they never give it back? Or would we all have the same car? You uh, get... Does well, anyone cars, own a car? It's it's not like they even we we wouldn't even use cars in the future. We would use efficient transportation. Cars are not efficient, but if we did, then you don't have to really bring it back. You leave it, and then other people use it in that area. You know, the car sits for I don't Birds. know most of the time. Oh, like birds. And, um, so, you know, wherever you are, people get in the car and use it and leave it there. And other people, when they need it, they use it. And we make sure the cars are where they need to be where, when people need them, if there were cars. Yeah. And they'd be electric. And probably at that time, you know, they would drive themselves. Uh, so you're okay with, oh, yeah, I guess nobody's going to need jobs. Are we going to need jobs in this, in this, in this project? Well, you know, whether we talk about if the Venus Project made it or not, people's jobs are being automated, and there's no provisions for them. In this system, they lose their jobs. Many times they lose their family. They lose their kids' ability to go to school. They lose their cars. They lose their houses, and, and <laughs> nobody really gives a shit in this culture. There's no provisions. But in a resource-based economy, when you lose your job, that means technology can do it better, faster, and more efficient and produce more of it. So you have access to more things and your standard of living goes up. And you have access to schools to be able to participate in, a, in, a, in society. And it, you, know, you, you can go back to school and do what you want or take time with your family or things that you've always wanted to do. You know, when kids, kids are curious about everything and they're into many different things, and then they get a certain age and they have to get a job that generally they hate, and they, they do this job for the right, rest of their right, lives. Right, 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 right. And what a waste of a mind. You have a woman standing behind a counter what, and waiting for people to come into a store, what kind of lipstick can I get you? You know, what color rouge would you like or whatever? And um, it, they have a mind and they're not using them. So yeah. we would want people to learn things and participate because then the standard of living for everybody in the environment the, goes up. <laughs> yeah, but that means a lot of people wouldn't be doing anything. They're just A lot of people would take that and be like, I'm just going to not do anything. Well, There's people that already do that now. I know a lot of people that get unemployment and shit, and they just sit there on their ass, act like well, they're getting jobs. Well, I mean, jobs. like, I, I, well, if there's no pay, it's like you could, I guess you could just, Everybody gets a hobby and starts trying to make a world better place, I guess. You know, I mean, when your job is not working, that's how you collect a check. Then you don't work. This is not that. This is, uh, we, right. ha we have our resources. Everybody gets their portion of the resources. And now you can go and uh, try to grow your mind, your spirit, your, and, and, that, and all that stuff. Um, so, comp so computers do have a big part of the Venus Project? Like, Basically yes. running the cities yes. and all that stuff. Uh, yes. How are the cities managed? How are cities managed? How yeah you how are you how would the cities be ran? Well, um, computers would have a large part in that because, um, as I said, they do things much more efficiently. And you know, I can say that the the amount of data that we have collected from the beginning of time since we've been recording it. We have 80% of our data collected in the last two years. People cannot keep up with this. They cannot, and, and what we are ultimately talking about is a global resource-based economy. I mean, this really isn't a resource-based economy until it is global. And um, so computers would be 
controlling the air, the water, production, distribution, making sure that that the transportation runs efficiently and on time, but they wouldn't control people. So you can think of it as like electrical tentacles going into the soil. When the water table gets low and the nutrients get low, then it automatically puts them in there. And you know, when we want to find out what we grow where, you take samples of the soil, you bring it to a lab, and the lab will tell you what that soil can best do and when you rotate the crops. So computers would have a huge part in society, but it wouldn't be abusive. But, um, I mean, there has to be a job because someone has to repair the computers or the robots. Yeah. And if there's no income, how, why would they do it? I'd sit there and like, well, I don't want to do you're, it. Because you're part of a, a system. You're part of a group. Everybody has their role. You know, if, if this system just died tomorrow, and then we automatically, I know this is not the way it's going to happen, but you said, okay, we're going to have a resource-based economy tomorrow, and you can participate in, in housing, in learning, and in apprenticing. You can go to other countries and bring them up in many different ways to help them. You can, um, you know, you can participate in these things, and you see your standard of living and other people's standard of living going up. When people lose their jobs, a lot of times they volunteer. I understand why people just sit on the couch because I would just say that if people didn't do drugs, if they didn't overeat, if they didn't do alcohol, they'd probably have a nervous breakdown because this culture is so stressful. But we're talking about a different kind of culture that would be so interesting and people could participate in what they want to participate that you wouldn't want to dull yourself down. Um, so, you know, there'd be so much to do that it would, it would be an exciting thing. And, you know, Martin Luther King didn't, didn't walk through Alabama knowing he'd get his head smashed in because somebody gave him a couple million dollars in a bank account. Right. He did it because he felt it was the right thing to do. And there's a lot of people that are interested in things but have no way of participating in things. I think a lot of kids would want to learn how to fly. They don't even think about it. They dare not dream in this culture. You open your bank account and you shut it again because it's painful to think of things that you can't do. People get laid off. They have no way or no access to do anything. I don't think they'd sit around if they could learn how to fly, if they could um, go to art centers and music centers and take out whatever they want and have people help them with that um, and, and participate in knowing that they're cleaning up the environment. I, I, and if they do, this culture has gotten to them so much and they're so flattened that it's, you know, that's the thing you have to work on with people in the of future. Course. So you're you're so you talked a lot about uh, I watched a couple of your videos. You talk about nature versus nurture. What causes behavior? That's a good question, and that's kind of the root of this. We feel that the environment shapes our behavior. If you grow up in a in a in an environment where they tell you you have to get whatever you can get, or somebody else you have to take whatever you can get, or somebody else is going to get it. You have an environment of hatred and, and you know, aggressiveness to get what you need. Right. Um, and, you know, everybody today we feel is perfectly well adjusted for where they're coming from. There's a good example of that. And, and I can just, um, let me put it this way, that we are just as lawful as anything else in nature. Right. That that nature, um, a a plant doesn't grow. It's acted upon by nutrients and sunlight and water, bacteria, lightning. It causes the plant to grow. If you took the seed to grow, if you took that seed and you put it in a vacuum, nothing would happen. And that's the same with people as well. If you took a child, very young child, and you put it in a big gray ball and you had no outside it had no outside stimulus. You had no outside verbal communication with it. Somehow you could 
wipe its butt and keep it clean. And it made it to 14 years old. And then you let that child out. What do you think it would be like? Well, you know, in go on. Sorry, I was just going to say, in in they've had cases and in, in war torn countries where babies lost, young babies lost their parents, and um, they were put in orphanages, and they didn't have enough people to take care of them or touch them or nurture them, and they found that without touch, touch stimulated the growth hormone. And if they weren't touched, then um, their brains were stunted, their bodies were stunted, and a lot of times they died due to stress. So um, the environment plays a huge role on, on what people are like. If you have a nurtured environment with love and warmth, you know what that means. If you don't have love and warmth, you don't generate that behavior. You know, you wonder why somebody in, in, a, in, in an impoverished area could stab a little old lady and um, kill her for her pocketbook or whatever. But that child has no identity with, with humans. They've never been in, reinforced in any positive way. They just learn to take whatever they can get or somebody else is going to get it. So that woman, that little old lady, just represents, you know, the next fix or some sneakers they want or, or whatever. Um, there was a, a, a sociologist, Mate, in Canada who said, and, and he, had a, he, had a, he worked with a lot of drug addicts, and he found that almost all of the people he worked with had really abusive childhoods. And he said that they were putting them in jail due to their childhood, but they had nothing to do with. Um, so, you know, another example of this, if, 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 you know, people reflect the books they read, the movies they go to, their friends, their parents, their role model, their religion, their subculture, everything you get, all the words you get to use, your facial expressions, how you hands, how you stand, you pick up by the environment. Right. Um, so hey, is what we're talking about is if you want different kinds of people, you have to produce a different kind of environment. This in, this system produces competition. It's not right and normal, as you're ta taught. It produces individuality. And everything that we learn comes off of the backs and the works of other people. And, and everything you say, you get from other people and your experience. So where's the individual there? Your culmination of all of your past experiences. Yep. I mean, yeah, I, I find it interesting. But here's the whole problem with any system is you could do any, you could put, put the most loving, idealistic system out there and yeah, alpha males are just going to ruin it. There's an asshole. There's always going to be somebody who's going to dominate. There's always going to be someone who wants more power. There's always going to be somebody who wants to uh, run the show. How do you deal with that? Well, in terms of that, there's no reward. You get nothing from being dominant. You, you, in fact, you'd be looked upon as being sick and ill and old values from the old system. You know, there's corruption today because there's scarcity. And, um, or, or, or the, the fear of scarcity. But in the future, when you can make things available and eventually produce abundance, then um, you don't gain anything by being abusive or being arrogant or um, being dominant. So there wouldn't be like a, like a movies award because that's why people compete. Even if there's no money, I still want to have the best song. Yeah, I mean, like I mean, I still want to have the best song if it has no money and if we don't. There's, I'm gonna be, I'm still gonna be the alpha male, even if there's no one be like, I still made the better song than you did, and unless there's no polls, that's an attitude that you pick up in this culture. And if there's rewards for that, like the Nobel Prize, there wouldn't be any Nobel Prize because people would understand the history of invention, that um, 
you know, I can give you this example that Otto Lilienthal in the late 1800s, he admired how birds flew. So he was the first one to strap arms, uh, strap wings on his arms. And of course they look like birds. And he built a big hill and he jumped off and he was successful in flying. It was how a glider. Far? He was the first one successful. He flew 2,500 flights and the last one wow. ended up in his death. And then, then somebody else tries, and they hit a tree. And a fisherman, because he sees a rudder, I mean, he sees the, the fish, he says, you've got to have a rudder on that plane, because he saw it in a fish. He doesn't get it from the air. He sees it in the environment. And then he, hit, he, he hits something. And then a, a sailor says, you've got to put, you got to brace those wings. And many people die and then the Wright brothers, they actually read Otto Lilienthal's book because he was an engineer. He wrote a book, the first book on aerodynamics. And, and he, they copied his plane, and they flew for a minute with a motor, and they called them the father of flight. That's BS or bad science or bullshit. He was not the father of anything because a lot of people died for him to be, for them to be able to fly. So if you understand the progression and where ideas come from, there's nobody, even the, the music that you play comes from your surroundings. If you travel to a lot of different countries and hear, you hear music from many different countries, creativity is taking known things and putting them together in unusual ways. So if you know that process, in the future, you would want to teach other people that instead of standing back and think, and and thinking erroneously that you came up with all that. You know, you're on the backs of many people that, that designed instruments that you had nothing to do with and, and people who taught you and other things that you pick up. And people would know that. Kids would know where inventions and ideas come from, that they don't just come from individuals. And this enables people to cooperate more and, and achieve more things. I love it. I love it. I love it. I wish we could show a little more love like that for sure. For sure. So um, do you see this as maybe in your lifetime, this ever being implemented? I mean, do you, you know, think it's, it's you know some people say, oh, you have to you have to tell you have to convince everybody. Even today, we're off the backs of very few people, people who bring you electricity, people who bring you the computer refrigeration. You know, and the rest of the people are pretty much bystanders with very little education. They're just given things to do so they can feed their own gut and, and make a salary. But um, it doesn't take having everybody decide upon this. It takes just re reaching the right people who can maybe initiate something. So I'll, I'll tell you, I have no expectations. <laughs> What you think should happen is not real. Whatever happens is real. Looking for justice, thinking something should happen, that's what makes you sick. All I know is I, I was felt very lucky to be introduced to Jacques, who studied this all his life, and I feel that it is it really could improve many people's lives you know, the Antarctic is melting. People are saying we're already beyond the point of no return. I don't know, but I don't even see, I don't see anything else that could make as many changes for people's well-being and benefit than this direction. I think everything else in this culture is strictly patchwork. You know, save the whales, keep the system going, but save the whales, save the environment. You might buy million dollars worth of land collecting from volunteers and you buy a big plot of land, another politician can get into office and you see the loggers on that land. There's no security in this system. So, and, and whatever you're working for, you're really working for the banks. If you own something and you can't pay your taxes, you can kiss it goodbye. You can have an automobile and you paid all your interest, which means you paid it probably three or four times over, and you can't pay your last payment. They don't come and take the steering wheel, the amount of the last payment, or the tire. They take the whole damn car. Right. So the system is so corrupt, 
Um, I, I just, I can't tell you if we're going to see it. I just don't, I just think it's a worthwhile direction to work toward. So you, so you, the center now is your headquarters in Venus, Florida. Is that? Yes. <laughs> That's why we call it the Venus project. It used to be called socio cyberneering. Oh, and I said it was before cybernetics was even known cyber was known so nobody could say the word when i met jock he had a non-profit organization called socio cyberneering and nobody could say it nobody could remember it nobody could spell it so when we moved to venus we called it the venus project we live in venus florida a little remote well yes we live many people i keep saying like jock's alive but we meaning other people who work and volunteer for this direction live here as well um, we have 10 buildings that Jock and I built. We made really kind of a little paradise here. We did it all ourselves. We did it through, we didn't have any backing at the time. We, we, we did it through jobs that we had. We, take out, we took out no loans, we took out no mortgages, and um, we just did it when we had the next job. So the houses were not what we wanted, they're what we could afford, but we moved here Jacques was a prolific designer. When I met him over 41 years, I worked with him. He did over 5,500 design sketches that we've digitized. That's why I know the, the, the number. And um, so we experimented with some of his house designs. Um, and the area we have here is kind of like what the outskirts of the city would look like where one house was near another house, but there's so much luff, lush foliage and, and landscaping that you don't see another house. And we showed that, that everybody could live well. At the time, we couldn't, and many of them are domes. And why domes? Because they use the least amount of material to cover the most space, and they are super strong. We live in hurricane country. You know, and people say, well, I don't wanna live in a dome but you've been living in a dome all your life. It's evolved to the strongest shape, cover your brain. But um, the, the buildings are out of concrete and steel. They get strong with age, they're fireproof, they're hurricane proof. And um, he, Jack always wanted a huge hurricane to test them out. We have about, I don't know, four or five domes. And um, he, we didn't get that till after he died. <laughs> we had Hurricane Irma come through here and the buildings withstood the mostly tornadoes that we had on our land. How many people can so, live in those domes? Or well, well, we have four people living here now, and um, because we're it's zoned agriculture, we're restricted to the number of residents. You can have one residence per five acres. One so resident per five why acres. Why? Why do you? Why? Why is that one resident per five acres? That's that's the rules they make oh, in wow. agriculture. Wow. Yeah, in zoned agriculture. Um, so this is why we're now working on our next project called Center for Resource Management. Um, and it will be bigger. It will house about four or 500 people. And um, it will demonstrate a project that's self-sustaining, grows its own food, produces its own energy, It'll have an ex exhibitions in the future in the middle to help sustain it. And the exhibitions will show people this direction, what life could be like in the future in, within a resource-based economy. And it'll, it'll demonstrate these ideas as well. Well, I love it, man. I think this is amazing. It's been, uh, I, I look forward to it. Now, are there any concrete plans to move this forward or where, where are you at right now? Um, yeah, there are. In fact, what we've done here is we've produced our own books, our, our own videos. We have several of them for free on our website. We have over 600 audio lectures of Jacques talking about all sorts of things from the 1960s. Um, we, I, I just want to tell you about the teams that we have on our website. If you look under Get Involved, there's a lot of people working with us from all over the world. We have um, 
an activist team, which is TVP support, the Venus Project support, support. and we're, we're mostly interested in people really understanding this direction and learning about it, and they go through 40 hours of an educational course. We also have the socio-cyberneering course, which somebody does kind of one-on-one -on -one with, with people, and it's a two-year course if you study an hour a, a day. And then people who graduate that, they teach other people. We have the data-driven team. We have the land um, acquisition team because we're looking for this new, we're de developing this new project. We have a media team, a marketing team. We have so many teams, I can't even remember them. Um, but we have a lot, we have the, the virtual reality team because we've been, a, a large company donated um, a lot of headsets for virtual reality. So we started a virtual reality team. Um, we have a, a video team, an audio team, linguist, a, a transcription team. We have a lot of things that people can participate in. And what was really interesting later, I mean, after Jacques died, um, a while ago, I, I developed the Center for Resource Management because Jacques, I worked for a long time with Jacques. He did a lot of designing and he taught me that. He taught me technical illustration. He used to teach everybody technical illustration, whoever came to his lectures or whoever rented a room from him. And um, so I put together this center and we put a call out for architects, engineers, and research people. And we got about 300 people that signed our NDA and signed up to work with us. So I found that really humbling. And we have a wonderful guy who's heading it, um, Adam Bousain, and um, who, who does that. He, he manages architectural teams for his own work. So we're plugging along with that. And we're going, we're working on our, our business documents to try and get funding for that. I love it. Well, I love it, man. I love it. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I, I, I think it's a very aggressive uh, idea. I'm super excited about it. I wish you nothing but luck. I, we need to bring a lot more love to this world. And I'm very thankful you came on, Roxanne. And uh, yeah, man, come back again. And we'll talk about this again. And we'll see where it is soon. Love to. Yeah, thank you, Sam. I didn't know how you take to this. And I'm really thrilled you like it. And um, uh, I appreciate this time a great deal. Thank you, Roxanne. It was great. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Greatly appreciated, and I will see you on the other side. Thank you, Roxanne. Thanks. Bye.